has God ever told you clearly? No. Well, I want to open today by giving you some backstage access to this last week as I prepared this message. Because I had God tell me very clearly, no. Uh, The first half of the week, Sunday through Wednesday, I had prepared in my normal fashion. I had read and reread and reread and reread and reread the source text in various translations. And and I had scoured through... uh, through commentaries and, and helps to, to, to get a feel for what others had drawn out of the passages. And by Wednesday evening, I had a message. A raw message, right? I, I do things in stages, and so I, I had developed the raw message with which I would spend the rest of this week, I thought, putting that on the lathe, so to speak, and, and shaving it down and shaping it into and polishing morning I got up and I had breakfast and I eventually made it up to my office and I began to to work on shaping the message. And as I did that, I became more and more and more unsettled. Not because there was anything wrong with the the study. The study was on point. And not because the message wasn't good. I, I think the message was fine. was telling Now, I don't know about you. There are a, a number of guys in here who have had the honor of standing up on this platform. But let me ask, if you get to Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and you still don't have the message for the coming Sunday, how do you feel? Pr- pretty uncomfortable, right? Well, add to that that can I get my slide? My my uh, there, the passage for this week. I one maybe five verse kind of guy. I have twenty one. I'm at Thursday mid morning with zero message. I mean, I've got a message, but it's not what I'm using. And twenty one verses to try and get through to give God's message to you. The worst part of this experience at this point. Note that at this point. The worst part of this experience point is I have zero inkling what the message is he wants me to do. I just know it's not the one I made. So I go to bed Thursday night without a message. I have read through the text repeatedly. I have read through the study aids repeatedly. I have prayed. I have wrestled. And I have no idea what God wants me to say. Friday. Friday is one of those days that usually in my process, I've got it down to about a 40-minute message. And I know I've got to get about 10 minutes off of it. But I'm polishing, right? The rough work is done. The message is shaped. I'm polishing for delivery. What am I doing Friday? I am frantic. I don't have a message to polish or shape. I'm terrified. I argued. I yelled at. I begged and pleaded with Almighty God 
to give me something. Give me a word. Give me something that tells me where you want me to go. You remember last week Ben Headley was talking about when he was in Haiti that they put him on a, on a specific assignment. They had him sterilizing surgical tools for eye surgery. Do you remember what his level of experience going into that was? Zero. Friday night comes, and I don't mean like dinner time, I mean like 1130. And you know what my sermon preparation is? Zero. Not because I haven't been trying, but I am wrestling with God. I am terrified. I am, I don't know what I'm going to do. So as I'm getting ready to go to bed, I'm thinking, you know what, if, if I don't get something tonight, then tomorrow morning I'm going to take out the message that I had. I know it's not what you want, God, but I'm going to take out the message and I'm going to try and finish that up so at least I have something to present because there's no way I'm leaving the stage empty. So I go to bed, and for over an hour, I went to bed a little after midnight, for over an hour, I begged and I pleaded in the silence and in the darkness. I yelled and screamed at God. I don't care what you want me to say. Just give me a clue. This isn't the first time I've had to, to wrestle with God over a message. But this is the first time I've had to wrestle with God after the message was written and he said, you're not using it. And this is the first time that I've come to a Friday night before that message is due with no message. So around 1.20, which is the last time I looked at my watch, sometime shortly after that, I dozed off. I, I'd been arguing with God. Really, I'm doing all the arguing, and he's listening, I think, laughing. He has a sense of humor, I promise. And, and the story gets better. I doze off, and about 3.22... I am startled awake by noise. I lay there for a few minutes, and I keep hearing noise. So doing what any good father and husband would do, I get up, and I'm going to go investigate. But that isn't as simple as it sounds, because I have to get up, and I have to disengage this apparatus from my face called a CPAP. So I get that all off, and I go to investigate. And what do I find in my youngest son in his room, on his phone, watching a video without headphones, and the noise is coming from his phone, which is okay. Crisis is averted, right? Nothing is, is going horribly wrong in my house. So I go to the bathroom, I get a drink, and I go back to bed. But believe me, I am still raging mad at God. Because now it's almost 4 a.m., and I still don't have an idea. I lay down family got upset because within moments within moments he began to bombard me not an idea or an inkling he began to bombard me with thought after thought after thought after thought picture upon picture upon picture of what he wanted me to say to him God is faithful so, I'm going to say this right up front. I'm sorry. 
Because the message that I have for us today, some of you are going to find it uncomfortable. So I'm sorry if it makes you uncomfortable. But I'm not sorry for faithfully delivering the message that he did. Because the message he gave me, I believe, is, is incredibly powerful and unbelievably timely for us. And amazingly, no, not really. Amazingly, it fits the text. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't fit just this text. In order to give you the message, I need to go back and give you the last few weeks of messages kind of summed up because it fits everything we've been doing. So, hang with me. A couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Brady delivered his very first message here. And we all know that we're in a season of transition, right? And, and that's beginning to, to take shape. But Brady gave his message here publicly. And he stood on this stage, and the message he, he gave us was titled, Last Words First. And in that message, he, he admonished us as a community of faith to say the very most important things that we had to say right up front to those that we interact with. Get the important stuff up, up front. Live intentionally. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've had several speakers who have walked us through. Uh, we have seen Jesus cleanse a leper. We've, we've heard him heal a centurion's paralyzed servant. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's cast out demons and demonstrated authority over creation by calming a stormy sea. He cast out more demons and, and sent them into swine. And then he crosses back over the Galilee into the region of the Galilee in northern Israel. And a huge crowd meets him on the shore. And right away, seemingly, some people see another paralytic on a mat. And do you remember what happened? He says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And what was the, what was the crowd's response? Well, we can't do that. Only God can do that. So Jesus says to the crowd, knowing their intention in their heart, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority in heaven and in earth to forgive sin. He says to the paralytic, take your mat, get up. And he does. Then last week, Ben Headley did a wonderful job bringing us a miracle of a different sort, right? We've, we've listed miracle after miracle after miracle, the power of God moving in his creation. And then last week, a different kind of mir miracle. He talked to us about, about Matthew, the, the publican, the tax collector. And, and he told us how Matthew wasn't just a tax collector. He was a tax collector with Jewish heritage from the tribe of Levi. His, name was, his other name was Levi. Now, he also did a really good job of telling us that because this guy with Jewish ancestry, right, was a tax collector, he was well-respected in the community. Not. Right? You remember what Ben said? And he's, and he's right on. The, the tax collectors were, were despised, but a tax collector of Jewish background was even more despised by the people. They were worse than, than criminals, than murderers, than prostitutes. They were not welcome. Nobody wanted them around. Yet, our king comes to this one who has been despised by his heritage, by his people, and he calls him to lead a life 
of being a tax collector and come to a life of discipleship and ministry. Now, I'm not saying that when God calls us that he always asks us to leave our secular occupation. In fact, very often he leaves in that position because we can do his work there. But he always calls. So that brings us to today's verses. They're going to be on the, on the screen behind me, and we're going to read through them, so go ahead and follow along. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 9. Then the disciples of John the Baptist came to him saying, Why do the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. He goes on, No one puts, on, uh, puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler, and we find out his name is Jairus, and he is a synagogue ruler. And we actually find out in another gospel that his daughter that he's here to plead with Jesus about is about 12 years old. And I think that's important because the spirit inter, uh, links, inexplicably links these two daughters together. My daughter has just died, he says, or in some translations is near to death. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Now, before I continue in verse 22, I want to I be transparent. I made a beautiful message that was all about this section. And I have a lot to say about it if you don't get to hear it today. Okay, that's fair. So Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl isn't dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away, and his fame spread his fame through all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees said, Who cast out demons? 
that offensive anymore. Now, it might shock you, but this morning I'm not going to do what I would normally do. I'm not going to try and dig in behind the details of this passage. One, we don't have time to get even through the first section of it. But that's not the message that we have today. There is a larger picture in all of the stuff from the last few weeks that I've, I've recited and, and gone back over. And in this passage, there is an overarching picture that has been painted by the Master. A picture that, that I believe allows us to focus on his message. And that picture is that we are each called individually from wherever we are. That we are each given a message. And that our eyes are opened to see him and to see his will. And that we are each given a voice once again to proclaim the message that he has given us. You see, our Savior, he comes to us where we're at. He finds us in, in the ruts, in the in the and in, in our addictions and in our sin. He finds us where we're at. And if we will accept him, he then begins to lift us up and out of that condition and to transform us, to unstop our ears and to open our eyes and to restore our voice, to give us a purpose and a mission. He strengthens us and he pulls us out of the muck and mire that more often than not we put ourselves into. Yeah, life happens, but I think... I won't talk to you, but if I'm honest, most of the time when I find myself in the worst conditions, it's because I've walked myself into it. Bad decisions, bad planning, failure to plan, ego. But he pulls us out of that, and he reshapes us, and he refocuses us. And then he purifies us, and he clothes us in his righteousness. He does it. Not us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We are made heirs of eternity by his work, not ours. And we know that. But family, let me get to the message that I believe God gave me for us today. Our calling. You and I and us collectively, we have a calling. First Christian Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico is at a crossroads. We are at a period of transition in our history. Yes, we have a hundred plus years legacy of faith and faithful service for this community. But we're at a crossroads and it doesn't have to end here. We are at a, at a significant juncture in our history. And our king is calling. Dr. Bryce will officially start his role as senior minister here on, in just a few weeks. And I, I believe that that is just part of the transition. But I pray, I pray, Brady, that you will each week get on this platform and boldly proclaim God's calling on our life that you will lead this body confidently 
into the future that God has for us. You see, I'm excited about the future that is in front of us, but I'm even more excited because I know who holds that future. And so do you. I pray that you will, you, Brady, will will proclaim to us that it's not enough to just come to church and occupy a pew for a couple hours once a week. Who will speak God's call for us to get up off of our backsides and engage in the community where he has planted us. That church is my message today. That we need to do more than sit in a pew. We need to engage. We need to be actively engaged in this community. He has called each one of us by name. He has restored each and every one of us and raised us from the dead. He has given us a message of hope and healing and power. He has empowered and equipped us to join the battle. Make no mistake, family. There is a battle raging all around us. Have you read the newspaper? Have you watched the news? Been on Facebook? There is a battle raging, and Satan and his, his demons, they're not resting. There is a war, and you and I are on the front lines if we have answered the call. He has given us a voice to tell his story. You see, wherever he has placed you and I, we are there for a purpose. And he's placed us here. So we are here at first for a purpose. You and I, we are his emissary. Remember way back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as we, as we began to open that up, I talked about the king preparing his ambassadors to show his kingdom, to bring his kingdom. Everything that we have studied has been all about that. And here we are, family, at a crossroads. And the king is calling. He's calling you to step up into the role of ambassador that he has given you and engage. And I'm not saying we haven't done any engaging, but he's calling each and every one of us to engage. As we navigate this season of transition, I believe that first is not done. I believe that God is still calling us to make a difference. In these walls, outside these doors, in our state, and in our world, I believe God is calling us to engage. And I believe that if we will stand up and in one unified voice declare we will not be silent and we will no longer remain invisible. We can change this community and we can change this culture. I don't know what giftings are each of you have, but I do know that God has given each of us giftings. And I will tell you that if if you will be bold and you will be deliberate and you will be intentional and you will be courageous 
and you will engage, God will use you. You don't have to stand on a platform. God will use you powerfully. The dictionary defines engage as this, to occupy, attract, or involve, to participate in or become involved in. So let me say, some of you are gifted in working with children. Engage. Some of you are gifted students of the word and could easily, might be uncomfortable, but you could easily lead a small group. Engage. Some of you are gifted leaders in other ways. For the sake of the body, engage. Some of you are gifted prayer warriors. Engage. Some of you are multi-gifted. Engage. And as Rachel said earlier, if you can eat, if you can sleep, if you can lounge around, family engage. It doesn't be difficult. Do something. Don't be content to sit here wrong with being where you are but if that's where you stay the body suffers the church is not a social club for the clean and put together family if the hurting the lost the sick the dying of our culture cannot walk through these doors and find mercy and grace, and help, and hope, and healing. Why are we here? Why are we here? We're not to be a richy getaway for the faithful, but an emergency spiritual hospital. A place that is open for the hurting, the wounded, the lost, and the dying. You and I are called to be medics on the front line in the battle that rages around us. But you know what? We don't have to do the healing. We know the healer. That's our message. We know the healer. We need to spend less time complaining about our culture and more time engaging in it. Being the moral compass that is so desperately lacking. You've probably heard it our culture has lost its moral compass. Well, you know what? That's an indictment against us. You and I, as the body of Christ, are the moral compass. So if it's lost, that's on us. It's time to engage. The king is calling us to stand up and fill the gap. Be the compass. We are not the judge. We are not the jury. But we are the compass. And if we remember, it wasn't all that long probably that you and I stood where they are. Lost and hurting without hope, without an answer. Wounded and dying. Do you remember when you felt that way? I do. 
it was Friday night before I went to bed. But our God is faithful. He will lift you up. He will open your eyes. He will give you a message and he will give you a voice. Will you stand in the gap? As we continue this journey as a body and a community of believers, we have a choice to make. And our message today is will you answer the call? Will you engage? Will you do what he has equipped you to do? Yes, you're going to feel uncomfortable. Believe me, at midnight on Friday and at 3.20 on, on Saturday morning, I had no idea what I was going to say. But God is faithful. Will you engage? Pray with me. Righteous Father, as we, as we take these words to heart, Father, I pray that you will, through your indwelling Holy Spirit, your mighty Ruach, that you will get hold of us, each and every one of us, Father, that you will fan the flame back into a roaring fire of desire. And that you will embolden us and enliven us to radically make a difference in this culture. Father, we know that you have called us. We know that you have equipped us. We know that you have, have set us free and given us that message to take to those who are still in bondage. So, Father, I pray that you will, as we go out of these doors, tug at us relentlessly, Father, to be your hands and your feet and to bring your kingdom. In your name I pray.